All right, so this is lesson four, and we're continuing, of course, our study. We're seeing the big flow of the Bible. Last time we looked at, uh, last couple of times we looked at the big overview of the Bible, and then we got the Old Testament, and now we're looking at the New Testament, and we saw the whole idea of revelation, and revelation is God making himself known. Inspiration is what? God making himself known what? In written form. And so as we focus on the New Testament, I mean, there's a lot there. And we can go into a lot of detail. We'll just hit some highlights tonight. And, and we can't go into a lot of detail. But let's think about this. The 20, the, oh, let, me, let me get past this right here. Okay. Let's talk about the New Testament. The, the 27 books of the New Testament give us the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises concerning the Messiah. Think about that. The New Testament begins basically with a little background. It shows the birth of Christ. It shows his ministry, his death and resurrection. It gives you the book of Acts, which is sort of the rest of the history. And then you've got all these letters, 21 letters, all written to churches and individuals on how to live and how to how to do all the things God want us, wants us to do. And then it all closes out basically with the final book of the Bible, which is the Revelation. Don't say revelations. It's not revelations. It's revelation. And it's the revelation that God gave. And uh, John wrote that down. So we're seeing all that. When we think about the New Testament, the New Testament is divided into three big sections. Okay. First of all, there's the history which we already know has the, you know, the, the gospels and that. And then there's the epistles or letters. And then the third thing is the prophecy. So that's how we divide it. We've talked about that before, so it's not anything new. But let's, let's talk about something for a second. We're going we're gonna to spend some time tonight going through the history. Then we're going to go through the letters. And then we'll go through the prophecy part. So just sort of like we did... With the Old Testament, we actually went through and talked about each one of the books a little bit. I know it was a lot of information, but that's what we wanted to do. Well, let's talk about, let's start with history. And when we think about the history section, the history section is made up of five books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Sometimes when people talk about dividing the Bible, they actually just say the Gospels. But then that leaves out Acts, because Acts is not really an epistle. And Acts is a history book. And so basically Matthew, Mark, Luke, John basically give us the, the history or the, the thing. And the first four books are called the Gospels. And, and what does the word gospel mean? It means good news, and that's what it is. And so really it's the gospel, it's the good news about Jesus Christ. When people say, give them the gospel, we're talking about the salvation message. When we're talking about the gospel or a gospel, we're talking about a particular book, uh, which would be that. Now, think about this. When we talk about the, the, the gospel, word gospel has the idea of good news. Now, I want to show you something that you're going to love. If you've never seen this, you're, you're absolutely going to love it. We know here's Jesus dying on the cross. We know here's the Old Testament, which is looking for forward to Christ. Here's the New Testament, which is basically looking back to Jesus. And what I want you to understand that in the Old Testament, there were, uh, there were views of the Messiah. In fact, this is what's pretty incredible about it. When you looked at it in the Old Testament, the, the Messiah was seen to be a king, was going to be a servant, was going to be a man, and was going to be God. If you read the Old Testament and you studied the Messiah, this one that is coming, the one that is going to crush the head of Satan, the one that is going to be through all the nations of the world will be blessed, you find that this one coming is going to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This one coming is going to be the servant of Jehovah. This one coming is going to be a man and this one coming is going to be God. So sometimes throughout history, some of the Jewish people were confused and they would say something like, well... 
if he's a man, he must be, that's one, and the king and God is two. In other words, they say, it's talking about two different people. One of them is God who's the king, the other is a man who's a servant. But that's not accurate. In fact, we find that all four uh, views of this, of this coming Messiah were proclaimed from the Old Testament. Let me give you some ideas here. Look at this. The four Gospels show the fulfillment of the Old Testament pictures of the Messiah. The first one is the King of Israel. And this Isaiah 32. So just write those in. Uh, Zechariah 9.9. It shows, and I'll just put Zechariah 9.9 here. It shows that this coming Messiah is going to be a king. And if you read it, read Isaiah 32, it talks about it. When you talk about Zechariah 9.9, it basically says the king of Israel is coming riding on a donkey. That's Zechariah 9.9. Also, the Old Testament said that the, the, the Messiah would be a servant, servant of Jehovah. I always put just Isaiah 42. There are actually four or there's five what they call servant passages. And Isaiah 42, 1 begins them. And so when you look through the gospel, when you look through the book of Isaiah, you can see he keeps talking about the servant of Jehovah. The servant of Jehovah is coming. And so the Old Testament showed this Messiah who's going to be a servant. The third thing we found out is going to be a man. He's called the Son of Man. That's Isaiah 7, 14. And that's the one where it says, Behold, this uh, virgin will give forth a child. And, and so that's the, the man that's coming. And you can see how it could be a little confusing if one's a king and one's a servant. You say, well, that doesn't add up. How are you a king and servant at the same time? And then, then you see your man, and then it also said that this was going to be the son of God. That's Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us the son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he's wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. And so if you looked in the Old Testament, and a lot of people have never realized this, if you look in the Old Testament, you see this coming Messiah. He's coming as a king, he's coming as a servant, he's coming as a man, and he's coming as God. And what most people don't realize is when they say, why are there four Gospels? Because that's going to be the next part I want you to see. Why are there four Gospels? I trusted Christ when I was 19, and I never had a Bible, and somebody gave me a Bible. And uh, so I started reading the Bible. And I read, but I started, I, you know, but no, I started at Genesis because that's where you start a book, right? At the very beginning of the book. And it was pretty fun. And then you got to Exodus and it was pretty fun, but then it began to slow down a little bit. And then you got to Leviticus and I kind of, I thought maybe I better slip to the new part, you know? So I slipped from the old New Testament and then I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what was so amazing, I thought, I said, Matthew is really great. And then Mark is really great, but it's a lot like Matthew. And then Luke it's really great, but it's a lot like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then John was very similar, but it was different. But, and so I went to a friend of mine, and I said, I don't understand. Why, why, why do we have these four books, and, and they're almost alike? And his answer was, uh, God didn't want you to miss it. You know, he, he, he just put it in there four times so you wouldn't miss it. And I went, oh, okay, that's good. Well, I didn't know. But what we realized this. Why are there four Gospels? You, as you already know, the four Gospels show us the fulfillment of these four views. Do you understand that the four, the, the, the New Testament fulfills it? Guess what? The Gospel of Matthew presents Jesus as the king. Old Testament says he's going to be a king. Matthew says here's the king. And the Gospel of Mark, what do you think? It's going to be servant, servant of Jehovah. Mark shows him. As the coming servant. I'm going to show you in a minute how we know all this. The Gospel of Luke shows Jesus as the Son of Man. Luke says he's a man. 
It matches that one. And guess what? The Gospel of John shows Jesus is the Son of God. And so the Gospel of John matches this. So I want you to see, and this is the most amazing thing if you've never seen this, that the four views of the Messiah from the Old Testament are shown to be true from the four Gospels. The Old Testament said he'd be a king. Matthew says, here's the king. The Old Testament said he's going to be a servant. Mark says, here's the servant. Old Testament said he's going to be a man. Luke says, here's the perfect man. And the Gospel, uh, and the Old Testament said there's, he's going to be God. And John says, here's God. And so this is what's the amazing thing. And if you got your little deal, the New Testament fulfillment. So, uh, I think I got that, did I? So Matthew shows him as the king, Mark as the servant, uh, Luke as the son of man, and John as the son of God. So listen, when you're reading, <coughs> every time I get up on Sunday morning, I start off and say, turn in your Bibles to Matthew. Remember, Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. That's, what, that's how he presents him. If we were studying Mark every Sunday, I'd stand up and say, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Remember, Mark presents Jesus as... The servant. I'm going to tell you that every time so that we know it because when you read it and when you study it, you begin to see how it fits together. So of the page, I think it's page three on your, in your book, I've got there Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So let's talk about those for just a second and let's get a little information. Don't you think it's amazing that when you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and you might say, I wonder why God gave us four Gospels. Had to have four because that's the four views of the Messiah from the Old Testament. Everything comes together. Listen, the more you study the Bible, the more you realize how it fits. It fits perfectly every time. Yeah, I, I love it. Don't don't you love it? Is it amazing? Okay, so let's look at let's look at Matthew for a minute, and and, and we're going to look at the Gospels. Matthew presents Jesus as the King. Now you can write some of this down if you want to. You don't have to go into a lot of details, but we're, let's talk about Matthew. And let me let me open up my Bible. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, uh, but I'm just going to look at the Gospel of Matthew. We have really seen a lot of this on Sunday morning. But if you remember that Matthew presents Jesus the King of the Jews, he is born King of the Jews. If you go to Matthew chapter 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the Magi arrived saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? At the very beginning. If you also remember, there's a lineage in chapter 1 in which actually says, This is the generation, the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. If you're going to be the king of the Jews, you've got to be a descendant of Abraham and you've got to be a descendant of David. The gospel of Matthew presents that in the very first verse. It's just incredible. He is called the son of David a number of times. I just put two of them down. He's called the son of David. You remember I told you on Sunday morning that that here's Jesus going along and these two blind guys are over there and they hear that Jesus is coming and so they start saying, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stops. And you could say, well, why would he stop? I mean, ever, people are hollering at him all the time. Why would he stop? Because if they called him son of David, they're recognizing that he's the Messiah and the king. And Jesus knew that. That's why he stopped. So that was called the son of David. And if you remember at the very end, when, when we've been seeing this already, when they put him on the cross, what's the sign? This is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. So I want you to understand, we've been seeing it weeks after weeks after weeks on Sunday morning, but Matthew presents Jesus as the king. The Old Testament said the king is coming. If you remember when Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, he came in riding on a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. So it's perfect. 
It's perfect at what God does. Let's look at the second one. The second one is Mark. Mark presents Jesus as a servant. So let me flip over there. And I want to ask you a question. In Matthew, you have the birth of Jesus, right? Because the wise men come and all that kind of stuff. Now, that's not exactly at the birth, but after Jesus was born, they come. And, of course, Luke, as you know, Luke has uh, the the Christmas story. Uh, But here's the question. Where is the birth account in the Gospel of Mark? There is no birth account. In fact, it starts the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you got John the Baptist. And then in verse 9 of chapter 1 says, In those days Jesus from Na- came from Nazareth in the Galilee. There's no birth. The, G- he presents Jesus as a servant, but there's no birth account or genealogy. You know why? If you're going to be the king, you've got to have the genealogy showing you're the king of the Jews. If you're going to be a servant, you don't need any background. You don't need background. If a guy says, I want you to clean up this stuff and do this, they don't ask you. Now, tell me your lineage, tell me your background, tell me all that. No. In fact, Mark gives some references. You know who the references are? John the Baptist, God the Father, and God the Spirit. At the very beginning, John the Baptist is saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven's hand. There's one coming out not even worthy to undo his shoes. He's pointing out Jesus. And when he baptizes Jesus, who says something from heaven? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's the servant of Jehovah. So when you look at the gospel of Mark, Mark presents Jesus as the servant. You know what one of the key verses is? Look at this. Mark chapter 10 verse 45. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So that is the gospel of Mark. So Matthew presents Jesus as the what? King. Mark presents him as the what? The servant. So just think about it. Here's Mark, and he says, the Isaiah said all these servant passages. Mark says, there he is. Well, then what about Luke? Luke presents him as what? As a man. In fact, think about this. In chapter 2, you have the birth and childhood. The only book that really gives you the birth of Jesus Christ, where he's gone, and they go out, and they put the, they put the baby in the manger, and the, and the shepherds come. That's all in Luke. And in Luke, also chapter 2, and there you see Jesus, and he's 12 years old. He's a boy, 12 years old, and he goes into the temple. This is right before he becomes a man. You know, in the Jewish thing, when, you, when you're 12 to 13 years old, that's a bar mitzvah, and you now become a son of the commandments. You come under the, the law. And so that's Jesus, and Luke presents him that way. Luke, when you get a genealogy, Luke's genealogy goes all the way back to Adam, who is the Son of God. In that sense, that's how he calls it. So he's showing that Jesus is a human being. Shows it all the time. It's really, really powerful. He is called several times the Son of Man. He calls himself Son of Man. And by the way, I want you to understand something. Son of Man is the title of the Messiah in the Old Testament. If you go to the book of Daniel in chapter 4, the Son of Man is coming. And so that's who we see. This is really some great stuff. So Matthew presents him as the what? Matthew presents him as the what? Mark presents him as the? And Luke presents him as what? The, the man, a man. I love it. I love it, okay? We got what? So, so the Old Testament said, there's a man coming. Luke says, there's a man. I'm going to show you how he is born. I'm going to show you when he is a boy. I'm going to show you when he starts his ministry. The last one is the Gospel of John. John presents Jesus Christ as God. How does John begin? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, he actually tells you that Jesus Christ is God at the very beginning. And he won't, Let me ask you a question. Okay, 
Uh, do you have the birth account basically in Matthew? Born king of the Jews, yeah. And you have the birth account in Luke, right? You don't have a birth account in Mark. What about a birth account in the Gospel of John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You could say, well, I don't think a birth thing. Well, what about verse 14? And the Word became flesh. So you have a birth account. He gives the divine thing, at, 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 divine lineage, but Jesus Christ becomes a human being. And so here we have, Isaiah says, it's God coming. And John says, here he is. Here he is, the perfect the king, the servant, the man, the God. The king, the servant, the man, the God. That's what you have. And that's why there are four Gospels. That's why they fit together. And if you really look at the Gospel of John, Jesus claimed to be God. Have you ever had anybody tell you that Jesus didn't claim to be God? I've had people come to me and say, Jesus never claimed to be God. I said, well, when he said, I and the Father are one. When he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you said, before Abraham was, I am. I mean, I, I think... You know, and if they said, are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God? Yes, I am. So I think that when people want to make that up, they're not, they're not very accurate. So we've got the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Powerful, powerful things. Now, let me tell you what I do. You know, I told you I, I got all kind of reading programs. I read the Gospels over and over and over and over. I read two chapters every day of whatever Gospel I'm in. Uh, so, like, I start in Matthew, and I go one and two, and the next day is three, four, the next day is five. And when I get through that, when I go to Mark, and when I get through that, I go to Luke, and when I get through John, then I start back over. I continually want to see Jesus as, you know, I have other reading programs. I already told you all, I read Psalms, you know, three Psalms every day. I read the book Proverbs one every day. But I have a different reading program for different things. But I continually read the Gospels because I just want to keep seeing Him. And it's amazing. And maybe, maybe you could do the same thing. Or if we're just studying Matthew for a while, you could just read the Gospel of Matthew over and over again. But it's so amazing to see that here we have Jesus the King, Jesus the Servant, Jesus the Man, and Jesus God. And that's who He is. And it's very powerful. And that all fulfills, He fulfills the Old Testament promises. I mean, it fits together perfectly. The next book, of course, is the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is our last of our history book. And if you look at it, the book of Acts gives us the history of the first century church, covers about, what, about 30 years. The book of Acts begins at about oh, 33, 34, maybe, and goes to about 62, 63. So it covers only about 30 years. I've had people say, Acts is the history of the church. I said, well, it's the first 30 years of the church, but it's not the history of the church, it's just the history of the first 30 years, and the key, one of the key verses is this, is, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now that's, it's kind of a long book, but let me give you the outline. In fact, I've got on your little handout here, it says, Acts can be divided into three sections. Are you ready for this? Okay, now remember, be my witness, it won't show up on this. Be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, remotest part of the earth. The outline, the first seven chapters, the spread of the message to Jerusalem, and Peter's the main guy. Remember what he said? You should be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
And so the first seven chapters of the book of Acts show us the message going to Jerusalem. The main person is Peter. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. Peter's the one that stands when they keep arresting him. Peter's that, that one. Okay, now take a guess. Look at this. Chapters 8 through 12 is the message going to Judea and Samaria. And if you remember, he said, you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And so that's the next section of the book. And the main character is Peter again, but a guy named Philip, because Philip is taking the message to different places as well. And then last but not least, the third part of the book is chapter 13 through 28. The message goes to the world. Remember, you should be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, the world. And the main character is Paul. That's how the book fits together. So if you can remember Acts 1-8, you've got the whole outline for the book of Acts. And you can put it together. The book of Acts is an amazing book. Um, it's hard. There's some places that are hard in it. There's some places that are easy in it. It's kind of fun. It's a great history book. You follow the things. One of the favorite things I do in the book of Acts when I study it and read it is I get a map out and I follow Paul on his missionary journeys to see where he went, to the cities he went. Because the Bible actually tells you every place that he goes and, and, and all of that. So it's pretty, pretty exciting. Okay, that's the history books. Have you got it? Matthew presents him as what? King. Mark presents him as? And Luke presents him as man, and John presents him as God. And the book of Acts gives us what? The history of the church for about 30 years. And the first seven chapters is basically going through where? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And then the next four chapters deal where? Judea, Samaria. And then the final part of the book is to the uttermost parts of the world. And that, that's it. See, you already know. You already got the entire history part of the New Testament. Just like you got the first five books of the Torah, you got the first five books of the New Testament. Just like that. It's not that hard. In fact, if somebody said, what are the first five books? You say, well, Matthew's the king, Mark's the servant, Luke is, 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 God, is the man, and John is God, and book of Acts gives you the history of the church of the first 30 years. That's it. So you already know it. Okay? Well, let's talk about the letters. Okay? Let's talk about the letters. And the letters are called epistles. They're 21 letters that give us information and principles <clears throat> dealing with the believer's lifestyle. Let me, let me erase this. So when you think about letters, we know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are history and, and Acts. But when you start reading uh, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Timothy, and James, and Jude, and th those are letters. They're not the same as history. I mean, history is just telling us stuff. But letters are actually written to people. Let me, I have to tell you all this. Okay. I just started growing as a Christian. I was coaching at Mississippi State. And the pastor that led me to Christ was, was, there, was, I was going to his church, but I really, I just now started growing. And so Coach Tyler, who was the head football coach, uh, he said, he said, JB, you, we were going to play Auburn. So we were going to Auburn. And he said, you want to take Nap on the trip? That's the pastor. And I said, yeah. So I called Nap. I said, you want to go with the football team to Auburn, stand on the sideline? And he went, yeah. And I said, you can be my roommate, you know. So Nap went. And so we got there. And so, as you know, we go on the field and you walk around for a little bit. And then you go back, eat, and then you go to your rooms. You don't do anything else because the game's the next day. But so Nap and I are in there. And I said, this shows you what I know. I said, Nap, okay, I've been reading this book. He said, well, good, good. I'm glad you've been reading it. I said, but I don't understand something. Why does it say Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, 
I mean, I don't. What are these names? I don't. I don't understand it. I can understand James because maybe that was written to some guy named James. But you know, and he said, "Okay, here, let me show you something." So he turned to the back, and he got a map, and he said, "See the city Rome?" I went, "Yeah, yeah." He said, "That's the Romans." I went, "Really?" And he said, "See Corinthians? See Corinth? That's First and Second Corinthians." I went, "You got to be kidding me!" I just it don't it hit me that these letters, these books, were actually letters written to different people. In fact, they were written to churches in the first century. And I, I never under, see. I didn't know that. I mean, I know. Listen, I, I know people that that that'll be in one of my classes, and I'll say, "Turn to this book," and and I see them do this. They have no idea where that book is. They go to the very front of the Bible, hoping that they've got a thing that'll tell them where that book is. Listen, I know exactly where they're coming from. I, I didn't even know why the books were named what they were named. You know, I'd read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I kept reading those books. But when you got the Corinthians and Romans and Ephesians, I, I thought, what, what are these names? I didn't know Ephesians was to Ephesus. I didn't know Galatia, Galatians was to a province, to a bunch of churches in Galatia. I didn't know all that. And so when we start talking about letters, we're talking about 21 letters that are written to particular people at particular times about particular things. That's why it is so important that if I said to you, what's the book of Romans about? What's the book of Galatians about? What's 1 Thessalonians about? Why did, why did James write James? What is Titus about? You should know that, right? I mean, isn't this our book? I mean, this is our book. This is a book given to believers... And, and, and when somebody says, well, what was Exodus about? We should know that because it's our book. And if we say, I don't know, I, I don't know it. Well, it's in English. Why don't you know it? I mean, why don't, you know, have, you, we, have we not read it? Have we not studied it? And the answer is for most people, no. Most people never taught the Bible. Most people don't study it. That's why it's so amazing that you take a class like this. It's so amazing that you said, I want to know as much as I can know. I want to put this whole thing together. Just like I hope after last week you can say, you know, I can take... The Old Testament, and I can think about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I can think about how they fit. I can think about the history. I can think about those writings. And at least I know now that Song of Solomon is this, and I know that Ecclesiastes is this. And then you could say, at least if I say prophets, I can say judgment and restoration. You know, and you got it. Well, now I want you to be able to do the same thing in the New Testament. Because you already know what Matthew's about, Mark, Luke, and John's about. You know what the book of Acts is about. Well, what about the 21 letters? And you could say, well, that's a lot of letters. Yes, it is. And so we're going to see how they fit together. They are instructions to believers to be more Christ-like. When Paul wrote to Corinth, there were reasons he wrote that letter. When Paul wrote to the Galatian churches, there was a reason. When Paul wrote to Timothy, there was a reason. When Peter wrote his letter, there are reasons. So what we want to do is to say, okay, what, what are these for? And most of them were written to churches. Some of them were written to individuals. And they all give information that we can grow. So let's, let's talk about the authors. Who were the authors of the epistles? Well, first of all, Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. Peter wrote two. James wrote one. John wrote three. Actually, when, when you say John writing three, he, he wrote a gospel, three letters, and then the book of Revelation, which is a little bit different. So he had three epistles, and then Jude, and then the, whoever wrote Hebrews, nobody knows, and so we just put unknown. So when you start thinking about it, all these letters were written, and you say, wow, Paul wrote a lot. But do you know that if you take the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, 
That's almost more information than all of Paul's 13 letters as far as length. So Paul wrote a lot of letters and he wrote to a lot of different people. So let's, let's talk. You know, I'm, I have to tell you, when I started growing as a Christian, I got all pumped and I loved Paul. I, you know, because I read that Paul was short. <laughs> and that he was bald-headed, and that he, uh, that he had a big old hook nose, and that he had reddish hair, of the hair that he had, and <laughs> he, he couldn't see. <laughs> and so I loved Paul. And when I, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> when I started studying, uh, I didn't want to know that Paul died. I know he died, and I got over to Second Timothy, and I found that he was going to die, and I said, I don't even want to know how he died. And so for a long time, I wouldn't even read to find out how Paul died because I just loved him. And so when you think about Paul, he, he's, the, he's the man. He's the man. So let's think about Paul's letters can be divided into three big groups, okay? They're what we call journey letters. He went on three different journeys and wrote six letters. They're called prison letters. He was in prison in Rome and he four, wrote four letters. And then there's what they call pastoral letters. That's where he wrote to Timothy and to Titus. And so they're sort of like, how does the church function? How are things supposed to go? So that's the letters. And so that's the big thing. So here's what I want to do. And uh, let me do this. I'm going to take this book for just a second. If you notice that you're in lesson four, at the end of lesson four, as we've done in every lesson, there are themes of the New Testament books. The New Testament books are all listed out. There's even a part that gives you the 40 days from the resurrection of Jesus to his ascension. Then there's some pages that actually tell you, here are Paul's journey letters, here's Paul's prison letters, here's Paul's pastoral letters. It gives you all kind of information on each one. So you have a lot of this information. You do not have to write down everything. You can write down some big things if you want to. Something that you say, I want to help myself remember this. So I've already put in this book for you a lot of information. So let's let's talk about Paul's letters and let's start with the journey of letters. Now, uh, here's Paul and he went on three missionary journeys. First journey, second journey, third journey. Okay, and so when he went on the journey, uh, he would go and then come back, and then something would happen, so he would write a letter. So on his first missionary journey, he actually went to the region of Galatia, and he wrote a letter, letter and he wrote the letter to the Galatians, okay? Now, let me show you something. Uh, Galatia is a province. It's Turkey. It's modern-day Turkey. And the, the, it was the southern part of Galatia and the northern part of Galatia, and then you go over here and you get to Europe. So here's Turkey, and Paul came through there, and he went to five, six, seven different churches, and on, it was on his first missionary journey, led people to Christ. It was really some really tough stuff. I mean, they, they, they came out, you know, thank you so much. I hope I don't need it again, but thank you so much. And so uh, he did all kind of different things, went places, did things. Uh, I mean, he got stoned in one place, he went to the different places, and, and then he came back, and let me tell you what happened. Paul went to those churches of Galatia and he told them that you're saved by faith in Christ and that you're justified by faith and it's not Mosaic law or any law or any works. It's just faith alone in Christ. And they believed. And churches sprung up everywhere. There are at least five or six, seven different churches he formed and then he came back. After he got back, words came to him that some people had gone in there, sometimes called Judaizers, and they told these people that Paul was wrong, that you could believe in Jesus, but if you didn't keep the law of Moses, you could not be saved. 
And so Paul writes Galatians, and the whole purpose of Galatians is to correct that. And he writes to him, and he says, I'm amazed you've already turned away from the true gospel, which is faith in Christ, to another gospel, which is not really a gospel. And he goes through the book of Galatians, and he tells them that salvation, you're justified by faith. Over, He says it three or four different times. He also talks about the Christian life. It is the best book if you were going to just, as a Christian, say, I want to grasp the idea of salvation. When I came to Stillwater 36 or 37 years ago or whatever it was, and I was at the other church, the very first book I taught was the book of Galatians. That's what I did on Sunday morning because the first two chapters of the book of Galatians tell you exactly what salvation is. The middle two chapters start talking about Christian life, and the last part of the book is Christian life. So it's a powerful book. It tells people that you're not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ that we might be justified by the faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh could be justified. That's Galatians 2, 16. That's what he writes. He writes to them. So the book of Galatians, and here's what's so neat. First journey, one book, Galatians. And it's a powerful book. If you've never studied it, you need to dig it. There's got some really, really, really great stuff. Okay? That's first journey. So he came back from the journey, wrote the letter, and then he decides, let's go again. And so they go on the second missionary journey, and he writes two letters. And when he's on the second missionary journey, he comes through here, stops right here at a place called Troas, has a vision from God that says, come over to Macedonia, northern and southern Greece, Macedonia and Acacia. He says, go across and come over there and take the message to those people. And he goes to a bunch of different places. He goes to Philippi, he goes to Thessalonica. And he writes, after that, he writes two letters to them. First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. And, of course, you can imagine what in the world, when I first started reading his books, didn't understand, I thought, well, who is this Thessalonian people? What does that mean? I didn't even know it was people. I didn't know what it was. So he writes to those churches, and they're really great. Uh, one of them is uh, waiting for the, uh, the rapture. And the second book, First Thessalonians deals with the rapture. Second Thessalonians deals with the second coming. They've got other things in them, of course, but that's the main idea. If you remember 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, for the dead, uh, for the Lord shall descend with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ rise first. We who are alive and remain to be caught up together with them and meet the Lord in the air. They'll, therefore, we'll always be together. Therefore, comfort one another with these. That's 1 Thessalonians because he's writing about the rapture. 2 Thessalonians, he's talking about the Antichrist coming. He even says that this Antichrist is going to take a place in the temple and claim to be God. That's in 2 Thessalonians. So in the second missionary journey, Paul writes how many letters? To the second journey, he writes two letters. One letter in the first, two letters in the second, first and second Thessalonians. He comes back and he goes again. And this time he goes back and he goes to Corinth and he writes to Rome. He hasn't gone to Rome, but he writes to Rome. So he writes three letters on the third journey, First and Second Corinthians and the book of Romans. And so if you just remember, first journey, one letter, second journey, two letters, third letter, three letters, and that's how you can remember how it fits together. And as you know, we all know the Corinthian letter. Uh, well, a lot of people don't know that the Corinthians wrote Paul. And they ask him questions. And that's why if you actually read 1 Corinthians, he'll say things like, now concerning the things about which you wrote, 
He actually is answering their questions. So First Thessalonians, I mean, First Corinthians deals with all kind of issues. I mean, they were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Uh, a man in the church was having sex with his stepmother. Uh, they were having arguments and division. Uh, they were misusing spiritual gifts. Uh, I mean, <coughs> if you think about a church and problems, they had more than, than just about anybody. Second Corinthians, he's showing his authority because he's going to come. And, of course, the book of Romans may be the greatest book in the New Testament. Some people say that if you could only have one letter, what would it be? And Romans basically tells us in chapters 1, 2, and 3 that we're all sinners and need a Savior. Chapters 3 and 4 tell us how to be saved, justified by faith. Chapter 5 is that the results of salvation. Chapter 6 and 7. 6 is our identification with Christ. 7 is the battle of the Christian life. 8 is the fact that you're, 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 you're saved and saved forever and you have assurance. 9, 10, and 11 deal with Israel, past, present, and future. 12 through 16 is how do you live out who you are. That's the book of Romans. It's probably one of the greatest books of all. Adam has taught it. He's taught a whole deal just on Romans 6 and 7 because it's so much in there about our identification with Christ and the death and resurrection of Christ. I always tell people, you know, everybody thinks that the, the cross and the death and resurrection of Christ is for eternal life salvation. It is. But the cross and the death and resurrection of Christ is victory in the Christian life. That's how we have victory in the Christian life. The cross gives us victory for eternal life, and the cross gives us victory for the Christian life. It's powerful stuff. So that's those books. And so that's Paul's journey letters. And so he wrote 1, 2, 3. And if you think about it, Galatians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Corinthians, and the book of Romans. So that's it. Now, so he comes back after the third journey, and uh, he decides to go to Jerusalem. And so he goes down to Jerusalem, and some people, some of the leaders come up to him and say, Paul, people are telling people that as a Jew, you're telling everybody not to even do anything with the law. And Paul said, no, no, I don't tell people not to do anything with the law. I tell them the law can't save them. And they said, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you go into the temple with some people and help pay for some, some of their sacrifices or something, and that'll just show that you're, you're, you're still like a real good Jew. So Paul says he'll do that, but when he gets in there, some people see him, and they think he brought in a Gentile, and he didn't. And so they jump on him and grab him, and they're about to kill him, and the Romans come in and take him away, and, and basically, and then they put him in prison for two years, and the Jews want to kill him, and, and they go back and forth in the courts, and so at the end of two years, Paul actually says, I appeal to Caesar. Now, Paul was a Roman citizen, and just a regular Jew couldn't do that. You had to have, have Roman citizenship, so he appealed, and in the book of Acts, part of the trip is Paul making the trip from Jerusalem all the way to Rome and he gets to Rome and they put him in prison and it's not prison prison like you think it's a house arrest he's in a place he can write he can have people come see him but he's chained to Roman soldiers they're called praetorium guards and they're chained to Paul so you can imagine Paul going hey let me tell you about Jesus and that poor guard had to just stand there and listen and Paul writes in one of the prison letters he wrote he wrote four prison epistles, Philemon, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And he says in the Philippian letter, he write, that, by the way, okay, Philemon was a person. He wrote to an individual. Ephesians was the church at Ephesus. Philippians was the church at Philippi. And Colossians was the church at Colossae. Those are different cities. So he wrote, and he wrote in the letter to the Philippians that a lot of the guards had trusted Jesus Christ. Just amazing, amazing. So those are the four prison epistles. And by the way, uh, Philemon was a... I, I have to tell you this story. Let me look at the time. Well, I can't see the clock. Oh, is it past 30? 
Oh, gosh, we'll have to go faster. I can't tell the story. I, I want to tell the story. The first book I ever studied, I thought by myself, I'm going to study my own book by myself. And I went and found Philemon, which had like 23, 25 verses. I thought, I can do that. I didn't realize how deep it was. And I studied and studied and studied and I finally put it together. And I realized that the book of Philemon is just full. It's, it, it's, it's about imputation. It's about how, how somebody pays, how Jesus paid for us. It's just a great book. But anyway, so Philemon is about that. Ephesians is one of the great books and I've got you've got the information Ephesians first three chapters who we are in Christ the last three chapters how we live out who we are in Christ Philippians is called the joy when he's in prison but he says rejoice evermore pray without ceasing all those things Colossian letter he write to the Colossians because people were telling them that Jesus was an angel and that he was in between God and man, and he was a powerful angel. And so if you read the Colossian letter, Paul says, don't worship angels, that Jesus is the God, is his God in humanity, the perfect God. So he spends Colossians telling Jesus isn't an angel. Jesus is the perfect God. So that's the prison epistles. Let me go a little faster. Then we get now to the pastoral epistles. And this, there's three letters. 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. I put them that way on purpose. Our Bible is different. We go 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. Timothy was Paul's kindred spirit. A, a younger guy that traveled with Paul, loved Paul. Was, Paul was like a daddy to him. And uh, so he writes to Timothy, telling Timothy, saying, Timothy, this is how you set up a church. This is how you function. And in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he actually gives one of the characteristics of an elder and a deacon and how to set up the church. That's why they're called pastoral epistles. He does the same thing with Titus. Titus was a young man. He sent him to the island of Crete to establish the churches. And then, of course, 2 Timothy is the last letter. Paul writes that. He's about to die. And he writes and says, I've run the race. I've fought the fight. I've kept the faith. I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering. I'm ready to to basically get his rewards. That letter is incredible. Paul is in prison this time, and he's in a dungeon prison, and he's freezing to death because he actually writes in there and says, tell somebody to bring me something to cover up with, and and he's dying. And that's why after I read that, I thought, I'm not reading out. I don't want to know. And so some great stuff. I'm, I'm doing a study with some of the men. It's called Leadership Principles from Second Timothy. I found six leadership principles from 2 Timothy, and I'm putting that study together. I've already got eight lessons of it. I think it'll end up being 12 lessons or 14, and I can't believe what's in there because Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's about to die, and it's going to be turned over to Timothy, and he's saying, here are the principles that you need to know to lead as the church goes on without him. That's powerful, powerful stuff. Okay, so that's Paul's letter. So we good on that? Okay, let's quickly look at the general epistles. Basically, general epistles are all letters except Paul. The first one is the book of Hebrews. The author is unknown. And, and the book of Hebrews is about Jesus being better than anything. Let me tell you a quick idea what Hebrews is about. There were Jewish people in the first century before the temple was destroyed who believed in Jesus Christ as Savior. Then persecution came. And when the persecution came, some of these believers turned back and put themselves back under the Mosaic law. And that's the people that <coughs> he's writing to Hebrews, Jewish people. 
And he's writing to them and telling them, you don't need to go back under the law. Jesus is better than the law. He's better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the temple. He's better than the tabernacle. He's better than Abraham. And it goes all the way through the book saying Jesus is better than anything. You don't need to go back to law. You need to stay with Jesus. And that's what the book of Hebrews is about. It's one of my favorite books because it's huge because it basically bridges the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's got all kind of priesthood things. It's got all kind of a great things about it. Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it. Some people think Paul wrote it. I don't think Paul wrote it. I don't think Paul could have written it because the writer says we, we know the truths that other people have taught us about Jesus. Paul would never say that. Paul got his direct revelation from Jesus, not from other people. So the writer of Hebrews is not Paul. Anyway, okay, then James, who's the half-brother of Jesus. Most of you know that uh, while Jesus was uh, still on the earth before he died, uh, this brother did not believe in him, but he ultimately became the pastor of Jerusalem. And the book of James, is, it's kind of a tough book. It's about, it's about living. It's about living out who you are as a believer. And uh, James chapter 2 is one of the most misunderstood and hardest chapters uh, for people to put together uh, because it seems to contradict because it says, uh, faith without works is dead. And it goes on to say, so you're justified not just by faith alone, but by works. Some people look at that and they get confused. But the book of James is talking about justification for people, not justification for God. And there's a big difference. So anyway, that's a book. It's a good one. And then, of course, First and Second Peter. And Peter writes and he talks about suffering in the first book. And he talks about false teachers in the second book. You don't have to write all that down. But Peter was amazing. And when you read Peter, one of the favorite things I like about Peter is he says that all Scripture that the scripture that we have came as the Holy Spirit moved through people. And then he says something amazing. He said he was on the mountain with Jesus, the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, I was on the mountain and saw him in his majesty. He said, but we got something better than that, and that's the Word of God. People always want experiences. Oh, I want experiences. Ah, my experience said this. It's got to always line up with the Scripture. The Scripture doesn't line up with your experiences. Your experiences must line up with the Scripture. Even Peter said being on the mountain with Jesus is not comparable to the perfect Word of God. You can, you can always get fooled by experiences, but you can't get fooled by the Word of God. And so that's Peter. And then, of course, John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 1st John is one of the hardest books in the Scripture because 1st John is about fellowship, but most people think it's about salvation. If it's about salvation, there are 11 things you must do to be saved. <laughs> if it's about fellowship, there are 11 things you must do to remain in fellowship. And so that's the book. 2nd and 3rd John are short little books. One of them deals with false teachers. The other deals... Uh, with, a, with a, a guy that's causing trouble. And so they're a little bitty. I mean, if you've read them, I mean, you can read them, you can read them in a minute. It's, it's short. It's good stuff. And that takes us to Jude, uh, which is an amazing book because that's, once again, a half-brother of Jesus. And Jude deals with false prophets and false teachers, and he talks about end-time things and really some hard stuff. If you really want to stretch yourself, study the, study the book of Jude. It's one chapter. It's like 30, I mean, 20-something verses, but you'll be amazed at what's in the book. It's powerful things. That takes us to the last book, and we're going to get through just about probably on time, and that's the prophetic thing, and that is the book of Revelation. I want to show you something. You've seen me teach this before, but I want to show you something that's amazing. People talk about the tribulation, right? And we know that 
Jesus died and rose again. We're in the church age. There's going to be the rapture, and then there'll be the tribulation, and the church is supposed to be taken out at the rapture. Am I right? Y'all got that, right? But some people say, no, 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 the church is going to go through the tribulation. If you look at the book of Revelation, chapters 1, 2, and 3, chapters 4 through 19, chapters 20 through 22, in 1 through 3, he writes to the churches, and the church is mentioned something like 20 times. In chapters 4 through 19, that he is taken up to heaven, John is, and he sees the tribulation. Guess how many times the church is mentioned? Zero. He comes back to the earth, and the kingdom is set up, and the church is there, and the church is mentioned two or three times there. So isn't it strange that the church is mentioned in chapters 1, 2, and 3, chapters 20 and 23, but during the tribulation time period, church is never mentioned. you know why? Church isn't there. That's why. Okay, but let me give you the major divisions of the, the um, book of Revelation. The first is the seven letters to the churches, famous. They're hard. Because sometimes it'll say, he who overcomes gets this. And you can't tell because sometimes you say, well, I thought overcomers were believers. No, I thought overcomers were maybe righteous people, but some of the, who knows? And so it's some hard stuff there. And then he goes to the throne of God. That's chapters 4 and 5. I just got through reading it because in my reading that I read through the whole Bible all the time, I just got through reading the book of Revelation, and I read it slower than I've ever read it. And I, I, I still go, God, I can't, I, I can't believe that's in there. And it's amazing what happens when he's taken up the throne of God. You know, there's a rainbow up there, and there's, a, there's 24 elders around there, and they're all falling down, and there's the seven things, and, and there's Jesus. I mean, there's just all kind of stuff there. And, and you go, who are these people? And John will say, who are these people? Now, they'll ask John, do you know who these people are? And he goes, no, you know, don't you? Tell me. And, and they'll tell him. It's just amazing what they're... Then, if you keep looking, from chapter 6 through 19, it's the time of the tribulation, and you have the seven seal judgments and the seven vile judgments and the seven trumpet judgments, and, uh, and, and as I also call it, the seven last things. And that, that it's just the, it's the, most, it's the most terrible thing you'll ever read. It is. And then... The second coming of Jesus Christ in the end of 19 in chapter 20, he comes as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he's going to set up a kingdom. And, and then right then, there's the kingdom and the judgments. He starts the kingdom, but there's a thing called the Great White Throne Judgment in which people are separated. And then the book, the, I think the last thing is the eternal state. That's chapters 21 and 22. That's where you have the new heavens and the new earth, and the new Jerusalem comes down. And it's got the 12 gates, which are actually, each gate is a giant pearl, and the streets are made out of gold and there's the foundations and they've got different names and it's just the most amazing amazing thing so new testament we've gone just pretty fast we've gone through the whole new testament and and you've got stuff I, you can't remember everything we talked about tonight there's no way uh but but you can get an idea of what these are about and if you just said okay paul's journey epistle uh, uh journey epistles on the first journey one on the second journey two and the third journey three when he went to rome there's four and then he comes out right so you've got that you got to be able to put it together the new testament is powerful let me give you the verses that we want you to memorize second timothy two fifteen: be diligent or study to show yourself approved to god as a workman uh, uh, proved to god as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth you know what accurately handling means? In the Greek, it actually means rightly dividing. It means like saying, okay, this is right. This goes over here. This goes over here. This goes over here. It's like putting together the Bible, just like right there. 
You, you could say, this happens here, this happens here, this happens here. You're putting together the Bible. You're rightly dividing the truths. And then the second one is the Romans one, which is so amazing. As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me. Every tongue should give praise to so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. I just want us to think about, do we know the Scripture? Do we understand it? Do we see how it fits together?